are my friends, the Ultimate OD Podcast. We have an amazing episode for you this week. We're talking about your value. Time equals value. Listen, you'll love it. A little office talk. The closing thought of the episode. This is the Ultimate OD Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Optometry, the Ultimate OD Podcast. Building better doctors one episode at a time. Here's your host, optometrist and practice owner, Dr. Nick Lilly. All right, my friends, the Ultimate OD Podcast. have a great episode for you today. Uh, before we start doing that, I just want to give a shout out to everyone that's reaching out, uh, following us on Instagram, Facebook, etc. Continue to help us grow. There's a lot of uh, stuff out there, a lot of resources. I just think that we are unique in what we tell you, what we're doing that if you're listening to this podcast, you were trying to grow your practice in a different way. That you understand that a lot of the cookie cutter approaches out there just don't apply to you. And there's a different way of doing things. That being said, thinking about our journeys, about how we got to where we're at. And a lot of times, you know, throughout high school, either you're playing sports, you're in all kinds of extracurricular clubs, and you're still a good student, right? When you get to College, what do we have to do to get into optometry school? And that's have good grades and do more than just school. We were in clubs. We were in sports. We did a little bit of everything. We volunteered. We had to get patient care hours. Whatever. We worked jobs. Time, time, time. I mean, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and his daughter is a freshman in high school. She's trying to go to optometry school at some point and right now he's like she gets up at 6 30 she grinds until 9 30 every night and in my head I thought man I I remember those days and I think about it now I get up early in the morning so I probably get up about 6 30 a.m get about a you know make breakfast for the kids get a 45 minute workout in get to the office by 8 15 8 30 at the latest and then get out of there about at closing time, so a little after 7 on Monday and Tuesday, a little after 5 on Wednesday and Thursday. I get out early, or the office closes early on Fridays, so uh, staff leaves at noon. I leave at about, I make myself now, leave at 1 to 2. But the first 7 years, I work 6 days a week. So I work till 5 on Fridays and then 9 till 1, 9 till 2 on Saturdays. First year, I worked on Sundays. And what did I learn over this is that Time is valuable. You start having families. You start realizing that work isn't everything. And this is a decade later, right? And you value your time. Well, move move to my current situation now. And I have a wife, three kids, one on the way, and have a, I, th- I think, a nice house. I have an office, trying to do a little bit of everything, trying to be uh, involved in my Uh, church on Sundays, trying to just be there for the kids, and time, 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 where does my time go? I grew up in a house where my dad was the, he worked like crazy. He taught me how to work, but he was a handyman, right? So if something broke, he would go and fix it. If something happened, he would fix it. And I just got to the point, you know, when I first got my my first house, is like, I'm not handy. I can't, you know, I'm lucky I can change a light bulb. 
Uh, I can change a tire, I think, if I had to, but it'd take me a while, right? Like, that that's me, right? I can do more than what my wife probably gives me credit for, but not as much as I need to to have this house. But that's also the point is, I don't want to do that. Like, my time is valuable. I look at my in-laws, and they have apartments, and uh, my my father-in-law, he's handy, right? If something's going on, he's going to go and fix it. If there's a maintenance issue, he's the one that they're calling. And I look at any endeavor, anything I do, what is my time worth? And I, I if we get to the point where uh, I have apartments or something, I'm going to have a management company, right? I know that's going to affect the bottom line, a little bit of the ROI, but my time is valuable, Okay. Now, why do I talk about this? Why did I go into this whole soliloquy, long talk about time? Is your time at the office matters. Your time is valuable. What are you spending it on? And what are you charging all of those good things? Let me you know, divert to another story. When I first opened up cold, the worst thing that happened to me every you know few months was a patient would come in, we'd sit down in optical, they'd price it out, and the response was, whoa, that's way less than I paid at the other place. And I was like, dang it, what am I doing, right? Remember, my initial mentality, if you listen to any of these podcasts, was I'm going to be the lowest cost, and I'm going to get all the patients in, and they're going to just love me, and that's how I'm going to go. No, people see money, monetary cost, as equating to value. How good are you? Like I said, if you're shopping for a dentist, look at how you do it. You don't look for the lowest person in town like, eh, that this person charges a little more. I'm probably going to get a better exam. Are you really going to get a better exam? I don't know, but that's what you your perception is. That's what I'm going to send my kids to. I'm not going to send to to the cheapest place in town. You know they're doing that to you too, right? How much is your exam how much are your glasses? All of these things. There's a perceived value, right? When is the last time that a patient complained about your fees? I'm serious. Has it been recently? Has it not been in like five years? Maybe you need to reevaluate your fee schedule. I'm not saying be the most expensive person in town, but don't be the least expensive either. If people don't give a little pushback, again, if it's every patient every day, reevaluate. But you need to have someone occasionally say, man, that's a little more than I want. You need to have options in the optical that will fit their needs, but your exams have worth. Your time has value, right? What are you charging for an exam to see your to get your expertise? Okay? So the whole point of this is do you know your chair costs, right? There go on the internet, there's a million different ways to calculate that, but you need to know what your overhead is, what you're paying your staff uh, what you want to earn, and how much do you have to make per exam to make that worthwhile, all right? You also need to know what your value is. Now, your your chair cost is different than your value. Your value, in my opinion, and what I think is what you want out of life, right? If you want to just, if you say you only need to make 100000 a year, and you'll be happy to do everything you want, Fine, then that's your value. If you want to make, say, 250k a year because you that's the lifestyle you want to live, that's your value. You need to run your office, run your practice to your value, what you want it to be, all right? Step one, we've talked about this in previous episodes. I've heard it all across the other podcasts 
What's your vivid vision? What do you want out of life? Figure that out and then set everything else accordingly. Well, we've talked about this. If you've been listening, you've set your value, right? Well, now you need to look at your fees, okay? This is a perfect time of year because guess what? All your labs, all your contact lens vendors, um, frame companies, they're going to adjust their fees. They send you a nice little letter. They value you. There's a lot going on in the supply chain, a lot going on in the economy. Guess what? You've sent me the same letter for 10 years, right? You really have. The prices are going to go up regardless because guess what? A little inflation is going to happen. That's fine. Well, you need to know what you're getting charged and are you going to eat that cost or are you going to pass it on to the patients? Are you going to raise your fees, right? What do you want to make? So do a little research, look at what they're charging, look at what your margins are, see what the difference is going to be. If it's nominal, okay. If there's something like, I always say transitions, I will charge the heck out of transitions. Why do I do that? Because people love them or they hate them. The people that are going to get transitions will pay whatever it takes to get them. The people that hate transitions don't care if it was free. They don't want that on their glasses. So make them pay for what they're going to pay for, right? That's something that I, I always jack up. So know that, but look at your costs, look at what your margins are, and then adjust accordingly. You don't have to make it all up in one thing. Don't raise just your single vision fees, right? Maybe add a little bit to your progressive cost, add a little bit to your uh, exam, this or that, but raise your fees. They're doing it to you. You have to do it to the patient. And guess what? Patients expect it because everywhere you go, when you go to buy groceries, when you go to get gas, when you're getting uh, food at a restaurant, it's a little bit more costly and people have just accepted that. Now, again, you start losing business, it starts hurting you. You have to be able to pivot and adjust, but don't be afraid to charge what you're worth, okay? Contact lenses are a great thing to look at too. Everyone is afraid of charging a lot for contacts because, oh, woe to me, they can go online and get it. If you present it correctly, when they have insurance, they're not going to beat your fees. And the people that don't want to get it from you, that want to get it online, want to get it online, they have it built in their head that they're going to be cheaper. That's fine. If you charge more and make more on the patients that are buying from you, it's okay that those online buyers are going to go online, right? The other thing is, what is your contact lens eval fee, okay? Charge what your expertise is worth. Yeah, you may get them on the first fit, but that's because you're good at what you do, okay? There's a lot more that goes into a contact lens fitting than, you know, just putting lenses on their eye and setting them on their way. Charge what you're worth for that. And sometimes you can make up your, you know, charge a little less for the materials if you're charging more for the eval, okay? Don't leave money on the table. Look at your fees. Look at the cost. Look at the changes that are coming your way. You got to pass them on to the patient, all right? No better time than now. Uh, new year, people expect it. Go into it. It's going to be busy. You want to make the most you, that you can, and you want to get what you are worth. That's what I got. We'll have more for you next week. All right, a little office talk. So something that popped into my head that I thought, uh, I don't know, I, I thought it was kind of profound. I don't know. We'll see what you think. It's give the patient what they want, and then when they come back, give them what they actually need. Okay? 
So whenever a patient comes in, and this is more for new patients or even established patients, a lot of times they're the experts, right? They've looked at Google. They're, they know what they're talking about. They know what they want. And they tell you this. And you can kind of guide them. You can nudge them and be like, no. But at the end of the day, they want what they want. A lot of times, and I, I use my contact lens patients, the easiest ones, because they're always follow-ups, right? And I'll say, hey, you know, we'll try what you want. I'm going to see you back in a week. If that doesn't work, I have other options for you. And seven out of ten times, they come back and you're like, yeah, this didn't work at all. Uh, what What's your idea? And then we find a solution that works for them. Or someone that doesn't want to, they think they want a progressive. I've listened to their, you know, what their work environment is, what their needs are. And I'm like, I really don't think you're going to like it. I don't think you're there yet. Um, and they get it and they're back in about three days and they're like, yeah, I, I can't, I'm not ready for this thing. Yep. All right, cool. We'll take it out and go from there. Right. You get a level of trust, but big thing about doing that is you give them what they want. Just make sure you have the conversation and document very clearly. Okay. These are the things you need to look out for. This is why. This is why I'm not sure if this is the best solution for you, but we'll try it. We can always adapt and pivot, okay? How about the person that uh, has the progressive, you know, they're like a plus 250 ad. Like, yeah, I just, I hate the progressive. I don't even want it in my glasses this year. I I take them off when I read anyways, you know, minus 250 uh, distance refraction. And I'm like, "Uh, I think you probably use it a little more than you think. You know, if you take the glass, take that out, you're not even going to be able to see your your phone. You're going to be pulling it off and on all the time. They're like, no, I I don't think you. I'm like, all right, here, let's do this. So I trial frame it, have them look. All right, look at your phone. Oh, let's go out here and look at this thing. No. And now I'm like, yeah, maybe I use a little more than I do. You have to, you have to do it artistically. You have to do it with a non-confrontational interaction with them, but you sometimes have to let them fall on their face for them to trust you that you know what you're doing here, okay? So keep that in mind when you're talking to patients, when they're coming in. If they tell you this is what they want, then that's fine. Uh, Example, contact lens patients that are in a garbage lens. I have so many people that come in and just garbage lens and nothing against vision source, but... I feel like a lot of vision source people just give the highest, most profitable lens. They come to me because they're unhappy. I'm like, here, you want that lens. I'll give you this. But here, let me give you uh, another lens to try. You know, if you like the other one, go from there. And they come back and they're like, yeah, I want the better lens. And I wasn't, I was surprised it made a difference. So do that. I think you'll be better. Moving on. Next, next thing. Uh, my staff member that was on maternity leave came back. Um, amazing that she came back. She was one of my best uh, staff members. She's still very good, right? But my other people that have been here had two months without the easy button. So they couldn't just go to her to get all the answers. And they're amazing. And she's like, wow, you guys have come a long way. I go, it's good. It's a good thing. You're still going to be very valuable here. But I love it when everyone's operating at that high of a level. Because if people are gone, if people go on vacation, if they want to take time off, we still function and the office can still thrive. Part of what staff members want is the ability to live life, right? They want to go on vacations when they want to go on vacations. They want to get out a little early so they can go to a concert. They want all these things. In my early days, I'd watch my payroll like a hawk. I still do, mind you. I, I don't get over a certain percentage. Like I try to keep 25% or less, right? 
Um, but they'd watch it like a hawk, and then I'd I would be like stingy. It hurt me to give them time off. I was wasn't great, right? Well, I have did my vivid vision, know what I want, and my peace of mind has a value to it, right? So I'm probably a staff member heavy. I'm still in my good percentages. I could run my office with out with one person gone and I'd be fine. It'd be good. But if someone got sick, if something happened, if someone quit or left, I'd be hurting. So by me running one heavy, uh, one, it allows me to grow because then I can, if we get really busy, I can fit it in because I know I have enough staff members. Two, if people are gone, if people want to have, you know, if life happens, if they get sick, if someone has a, you know, a kid's thing they want to go to, if someone's a death in the family, go ahead, take care of what you got to do. I'm here. It's a great environment for them. It's easier for me because you just do what you got to do and we'll go from there. Now, if someone's missing constantly, we're going to let them go. It's not a great fit, but I like to staff a little heavy knowing that any uh, analysis of my office can be like, your payroll is a little high. Yeah, I got it. But my Peace of mind means something. When I can go home and I don't have to worry about who's going to see get the patient an optical, get them glasses, that's going to hurt my bottom line or give me stress where I'm worrying about what's going to happen the next day, that's not worth it to me. So just little things that you can do. I'm, I'm curious what your philosophies are. So send me that and we'll go from there. Next thing, remember, something I always try to do is keep my staff motivated, keep a culture of fellowship. So I went around to every single person. I'm like, hey, we got homework this week. Mind you, I didn't get the stinking homework this week. Uh, I sent an email to my office manager who wasn't in today. Uh, We'll get that fixed. But everyone had to give me a restaurant and the one dish at the restaurant that is why they're recommending that. And I go, you know, I may or may not choose this. I have the right of first refusal and I will pick wherever I want to go for whatever I'm in the mood in. And then guess what? They all started talking about food, all the things they want. And it, when I left, they were on a common ground. They had something to talk about. And they were talking about foods. They're like, hey, we should go out and get this. It just gives a sense of camaraderie, a culture of fellowship and being one. And then in January, I'm going to pick one of the restaurants and we're going to go from there and I'll, I'll do something to try and make, all right, this is the dish. I'm going to get one. We're going to split it before. And, you know, I'll, I'll find something to make it fun. But... And then we might cycle through the list over the course of the year. So the moral of the story is when you're trying to create a culture, when you're trying to get your staff to work together, it doesn't have to be hard, right? What do they like? Do they like foods? Do they like movies? Give them something to go at together and you'll be surprised at how well they uh, they gel and go after it. Uh, one of the things I read, I think it was Bo Schimbleker, Bo Schimbeckler's biography. He was a football coach at Michigan and he'd come in and he'd do everything he could to be the meanest, the worst, most demanding coach ever. Because if he was that person, everyone would hate him. Right. And that united the team. Now, granted, I don't know if you want everyone to hate you, but there has to be a common bond, a common thread. So find a way to do that without having a revolt on your hands. But uh, just a little Bo Schembechler words of wisdom for you. Tune in. I'll have more office talk for you next week. Where, oh, where has the time went? We're to the closing thought of the episode. 
And today I will leave you with this. I've seen a lot of this happening in the uh, media world, if you will. And uh, Dan Lebetard, Clay Travis, uh, Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy, and now Pat McAfee. Uh, those are just a few, but these are people that were part of bigger entities and they essentially bet on themselves and got a bag, just got paid beyond belief. And I respect that the heck out of that. I love to see someone that doesn't listen to the noise, knows that it's a little guy against a big machine and they bet on themselves, right? And they get paid. And I'm not, the getting paid isn't really the biggest thing that impresses me. It's that they bet on themselves that they had a belief that if they worked hard enough, they had something that was special and unique enough to overcome all the obstacles out there. I think in a small part, we as optometrists do this. Now, something I I heard is that um, there's a difference between a business owner, owner and an entrepreneur. And most optometrists are business owners because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not doing anything completely new. We're taking a known business and just maximizing it to what it is. An entrepreneur will take something that doesn't exist or something and make it fresh, make it new and put it out there and just see what happens. Now, I think there's a fine line when you are a private practice owner because you have to take chances. You have to try new things. You have to be outside the box. You can't do what the corporate world does and you can't do what um, every other practice does because they're bigger. They have more buying power. When you're a new guy on the street, you have to do things differently. So I think there is a, a sense of entrepreneurship for anyone who I think is listening to this. But what I will tell you is at the end of the day, there's a probably three out of four of these people going after are going to fail, right? Absolutely going to fall on their face and fail. But that one out of four is absolutely amazing. We are very privileged to have a unique profession where I'd say three out of four are going to survive. And that one out of four is going to be a superstar. Going to be absolutely amazing. I don't see optometrists, I don't care how bad you run your office, going out of business. They really, I really don't see it. Have you seen any office just flat out closed? I have these garbage offices, literally garbage offices, like, hey, they're for sale. And we have an amazing five-star review, you know, five-star rating on Google. I look at it, there's two ratings, but that's how they're marketing themselves, right? And guess what? They actually think they're going to get money for their practice. Someone eventually will pay that. But how amazing is this profession? So I don't think... We have to worry about like these huge companies and three or four going out of business, falling on their face like a restaurant or whatnot. We are in a very insulated, very protected profession where three out of four are just going to get by. But one out of four of us can be amazing, right? That's why we have this podcast. That's why we collaborate. That's why we talk to each other. Let's be the one out of four. That's what I got. Dr. Lily out.
We want to thank you for listening to today's episode and hope that you found a pearl to apply to your practice. We believe as a community, there is much wisdom to be shared. So if you have questions, suggestions, or requests, we want to know. Feel free to reach out to us via social media and leave a comment or email us at theultimateodpodcast at gmail.com so we can make this podcast even better for you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll catch you again next week.